Welcome to Political as Heck, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Astle, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. What's up, Todd? Hey, Corey. Back from Hawaii. And how was it? It was awesome. My son got married over there, so it was really special. That's so fantastic. And congratulations to him and, uh, and the new bride. All right, let's jump to it. So about a month ago, a new Twitter handle emerged on the Utah scene at based Mike Lee. I actually noticed this one early on and maybe you did too, but, but because I look at Twitter way too much, way more than it's worth, but there are several Mike Lee parody accounts out there. Uh, almost all of them are flaming left leftists who, you know, think they're funny and they're clever, but, but this account was a little bit out of the ordinary because it seemed like someone who actually agreed with Mike Lee and offered some smart analysis. So, but at the same time, you know, the account was using a lot of slang words. That's the type that my middle school kids use. Uh, for example, he uses bussin', no cap, for real, for real. <laughs> Things that my kids say. Uh, and offhand, that just didn't seem like how I would guess that Senator Lee would present. Although, come to find out, it was him. It is him. He's running the account. So, uh, so on the one hand, I definitely welcome the engagement. Most accounts for U.S. senators, if you don't know this, people almost for sure, uh, including Senator Mike Lee's per, uh, Senate account, like all of them are run by comms people, communications people on the Senator's staff. So a Twitter, their Twitter account usually serves more as a press release outlet. And so it's rarely very interesting and or worth following at all. But, and so I don't really follow many national politicians for that, for that reason, because it amounts mostly to spam. There are a few senators prominently, like Ted Cruz definitely runs his own, Chuck Grassley, Senator from Iowa, they tweet for themselves, but it's actually not as common as you think. Anyway, glad to have Senator Lee in the flesh out there crossing swords with the people. Not quite the persona I would expect him to put out there, but people who have worked for him tell me that he's just like that in the office. So good for him. That's cool. His, his real personality is getting in the, out there. One more thing. I think Brian Shaw of the trip broke this story that Mike Lee was using his new account. And I think it's hilarious because you would think that Woodbird and Bernstein had just cracked open Watergate. <laughs> the self-congratulations just completely off the charts for a Twitter account, mind you, where he uses his real name. Not like Mitt Romney, who was using uh, Pierre Delecto as his uh, alias last year or a couple years ago, I guess. There's no alias here. The account is called Based Mike Lee. Still, the Huffington Post acted like they had hacked a German Enigma encryption or something. And we should tell folks, based in the name, based Mike Lee is slang, basically means it's the opposite of woke, like not woke, like based in reality. So he's being a little cheeky with his handle. Anyway, Todd, you're the Lord of Utah Twitter. What's your take on all this? <laughs> well, first of all, um, uh, two, two quick takes uh, just to show you how narcissistic I am. So based Mike Lee is only following 84 Twitter accounts. But mm -hmm. one of them is mine. So based, oh, I'm, I'm one of the chosen 84. I'm not sure why. Uh, I I I am friends with Mike Lee from law school, but I don't always agree with Mike Lee on politics. But um, we have a you know we we have a good uh, uh, working relationship. Um, the other take is I'm a little bit jealous because I've been tweeting for I don't know like 11 or 12 years, and I've got less than half of the followers that based Mike Lee has accumulated <laughs> in, in one month. So his, his Twitter, his new Twitter account 
started in July and he has 18,700 followers. I have about 8,000 followers, which is actually pretty good in Utah politics, but I'm also not a U.S. senator. And so, yeah, I think that this is kind of the authentic Mike Lee. Most of the people that know that have worked with him in his office will tell you he's he's got a very good sense of humor and he's not as stuffy as I think some liberals want to pretend he is. Um, he has done some silly things on the Senate floor at times, and I think that has kind of shown uh, his 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 real side. But um, I I'm not sure um, what he's hoping to accomplish with this. I'm I'm not ready to say that it's a terrible idea, and I'm certainly not ready to say it's a great idea. But I think something about the Evan McMullen campaign is bringing out this side of him, and he wants to be a little bit more unhinged and, and un unleashed and i will tell you <laughs> i feel like he's kind of tweeting like i tweet so i am going to take this. <laughs> that's a good point that you make though about uh, about evan mcmullen because he's he's tangled with evan on twitter using this new handle and uh, I, I hadn't really seen much of that from his official account which again is almost for sure run by comms people or whatever but you know yeah Part of that is like, wow, that's interesting choice. But on the other hand, I think it's pretty cool because, again, it doesn't really happen that often. Next topic. A few days ago, Time Magazine published a profile of Utah Governor Spencer Cox. Thrust of the article, and we will post this in, the, in our little show notes uh, for those who are going to watch the podcast, and we'll, we'll post it on Facebook, too. But the thrust of the, uh, the article is that uh, Governor Cox is trying to blaze a trail as a, a socially conscious Republican, is the, word, is the term they use, which is basically the kind of Republican that Time Magazine readers deign to accept in their society as a uh, you know, conscious society. Anyway, here's a representative excerpt from the article. It says, as governor... Cox has worked to find bipartisan solutions to issues including criminal justice and critical race theory, but he understands why his approach isn't more widespread. It takes real work, he says. It's much harder. There's more risk involved, for sure. My job would be so much easier if I just listened to Fox News every night and did whatever they said the next morning, which a lot of politicians do. But we have to break out of this cycle of anger and vitriol. And the only way to do that is by reaching out to people who are different than you. It's not just a talking point that we need to be nice and united. We have to back it up with our actions. So that's a close quote. So I think this is Spencer Cox represented here is all familiar to us. In that sense, I think the content of the article itself was actually pretty fair and representative of him. And I, I, I understand from, from folks around him that he was happy with the content itself, thought it portrayed an accurate uh, portrait of, of him and his views. What he can't be happy with, and he said publicly during a press conference, he was frustrated with the headline, which is the red state governor who's not afraid to be woke, not afraid to be woke. So now I have a feeling that that headline is going to come back to haunt him, probably going to be an ad, in an ad maybe <laughs> uh, if somebody tries to challenge him. I don't know. Uh, I don't think he would call himself woke, uh, nor do I think that he fully subscribes to the left's radical cultural agenda, although he is obviously much more moderate. Uh, they certainly didn't do him any favors with that. But Todd, what do you think of the article? Well, um, I echo uh, your uh, commentary and analysis, and I think the governor's. I thought that, you know, I've known Spencer Cox since 2011, 2012. 
time frame, 2012 probably. Um, I think that the article is very accurate. I think it kind of captures the essence of Spencer Cox. I've made it no secret that I like Spencer Cox. And um, and I also think that the article is unhelpful and misleading. I don't know that it's going to keep him from being reelected, but um, I, I don't think that Spencer Cox is trying to be woke. I do think that he recognizes that we live in a changing world and a changing political landscape. And quite frankly, um, if I have to choose between Ted Cruz and Spencer Cox as to who will be the future of the of the Republican Party in the next 10 to 15 to 20 years, I'm going to go with Spencer Cox. And I'll tell you why. Um, the rising generation, the kids in college, the kids who are fresh out of college, they are not far right Republicans. And if we're going to stay relevant and if we're going to keep on winning presidential elections and U.S. Senate races, we're going to have to. We're going to have to have a message that resonates with at least, you know, 50% plus one of the voters. And I'm not sure that the, the Ted Cruz's of the world um, are, are going to um, win the hearts and minds of our 25 and 30 year olds and our future 25 and 30 year olds. So, um, and I think, and I don't think Spencer Cox is trying, I don't think he's trying to be cool to the younger kids. I think he's being himself, but I, I often I also I also think that his instincts are good um, in terms of what um, you know. Obviously, he's governor and not Greg Hughes for a reason, right? Greg Hughes was clearly a more conservative candidate, as was probably Thomas Wright. Um, and I know it was a weird four four party election, but remember, he won he won the delegate race and he won the primary uh, by slim margins. Uh, but he's governor for a reason. He was lieutenant governor for a reason. So uh, again, I I I. I'm not going to say he's perfect. I don't agree with him on everything, but I like Spencer Cox and I think he's, uh, he's right. Most of the time. Yeah. That's an interesting take on the, on the kids and well, it'll be interesting to see how things unfold. I, I have, a, I have a freshman in, in, in and I, I guess he, uh, he's still in junior high, but he's pretty darn conservative, but um, we'll see how the rest of them turn out. But anyway, time magazine gets its clicks from hardcore progressives. We, I mean that, I think that is pretty obvious to everyone. These are the same people who agreed with Joe Biden that, presidential candidate Mitt Romney, quote, would put black people back in chains. And these days, of course, they love Romney because he bucks Trump. In other words, these folks, the Times readers, they like Republicans who criticize other Republicans. Like, for example, who would have thought the radical left would be donating tens of millions of dollars to boost Liz Cheney, of all people? You know, Darth Vader's daughter, the neocon chicken hawk. So who would have had that on their bingo card? I'm not sure that I would have. But she's going after Trump. She's going after McCarthy. She's going after House Republicans. So they love her and they're throwing money at her, at least for now. And uh, I mean, I'll, although they'll discard her in return to calling her a white supremacist warmonger. They will. They discarded John McCain after he was their maverick. And yeah, absolutely. Ran for president. And he was a terrible person. But uh, according so, to so them, all that to say, let me I'll just finish. and You, you can jump in. But um, all, all that's just to say that it is a little curious to me that 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 the Cox team and the governor would place so much trust in an outlet that should really be suspect for Republicans. And I mean, I think that what they've done, as we both said with the headline is just not very nice. Uh, I think it's pretty foreseeable though. These are not his friends. I'm not sure that I would have advised him to trust them or to speak with them frankly at all, but, uh, but he does come across as big hearted. Uh, we both agree that it does, as far as the content, it does probably portray his true self and he seems to feel that way too. So, Maybe it's still, still a win. 
don't know. So I think that uh, two, two things. Number one, usually the author of the article does not write the headline. Usually an editor writes the headline, and that yeah. can be frustrating. I've had reporters tell me, you know, that wrote articles that I was quoted in that they didn't like the headline, but they couldn't do anything about it. So I want our, our listeners to know that because most people assume that the reporter also writes the headline. And that's just not how it works most of the time. Number two, I think that Spencer Cox is starting to build a national profile. So I think that my guess is that this was intentional. Um, he was recently last month elected as the vice chair of the National Governors Association. So these are the other governors, you know, who are voting for him and they obviously like him. Uh, but also, I will tell you that leadership of the National Governors Association, they like to vote for people that aren't running for president, that aren't threatening, you know, so they're not going to vote for the governor of Texas or the governor of Florida or even the governor of South Dakota. They're not going to vote for them and give them a bully pulpit from the National Governors Association because it's a bipartisan organization. So I think he is um, winning. Um, I think he's winning over other governors, which is as good. And I think that this was an attempt for him to. To, to start to build a national profile. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, that's fair enough. I guess I would just say, you know, there are other outlets out there, maybe maybe the Wall Street Journal, maybe National Review, maybe, um, but uh, that's, I guess those are tactical questions. Yeah, but anybody right. that reads the article, I, I think he's fine. I, I mean, it, it's who he is. So it's just a bad headline. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. Todd, as you predicted, a Utah court has issued an injunction blocking the newly enacted ban on transgender students playing girls sports. You want to update us on what happened and where the law goes from here? Yeah, and I, it was an easy prediction because every single other state that has enacted the same ban that Utah did has been enjoined in federal court. And, and I think that it, it was a losing lawsuit. And I, I don't want to pick the scabs here, but th this was kind of expected. Um, and in fact, I, I think that, you know, um, uh, Senate President Stuart Adams and others, what they really wanted was not an outright ban at the end of the day. They wanted a commission that is going to evaluate these transgender athletes. And if they're too fast, if they're too strong, if they're too, you know, big, then, then they won't be able to compete. But if they fit within kind of a, an acceptable range of competitiveness than they can compete. And quite frankly, we could not get the enough support to pass that bill um, with, with the commission. And so uh, the strategy was, well, we'll pass a ban and then have the commission uh, come into effect if the ban isn't joined. And that's exactly what happened. And I will say that, you know, that's kind of what was expected. Um, to happen here. And so my guess is moving forward, the ban will continue to be enjoined. I think that the state will lose the lawsuit. That's why we went, we met in a special session and we appropriated a half a million dollars for the Utah uh, High School Association so that they wouldn't go bankrupt over this. And so again, everyone that was criticizing me, I said, A, I think this is unconstitutional and B, it's going to cost the taxpayers a lot of money when it's, it, it's a losing battle. But uh, I, I'm not trying to rub it in. I'm just saying, this was right. So this got the biggest surprise to me, Corey, was this was filed in state court as, yeah. as opposed to federal yeah. court. So it went to a state court judge named Keith Kelly. I've appeared before Judge Kelly. He's a smart judge. And I'll tell you, out of Utah's 130 state court judges, he's he's the one that's going to dot every I and cross every T. He was very meticulous. I've read his decision. I think it was 27 page decision. Um, he goes through and he outlines a paragraph on each one of the three. Again, we have three transgender 
athletes who this ban affected three in the whole state of Utah, 3.3 million people. And he gives a description of them without giving their names and what sports they play and, and, and whatnot. So I still think that the bill was trying to kill a fly with a sledgehammer, but. Yeah. So representative uh, Kira Berkland, as we know, has been a leader on this issue. We've had her on the podcast. I, uh, she's, she's led on it from the beginning and uh, honestly, she's taken so much hate and vitriol. I think she deserves high praise. I think she's a courageous legislator and Utah is fortunate to have her. She had this to say about the court ruling. She said, from the beginning, my intention has been to protect and preserve girls as sports. Although the judge did not rule in our favor, female athletes can still be assured that they can compete fairly as we will soon have a commission in place for every girl who is feeling unseen or unheard right now. I hear you. Be proud of the body you were given and its abilities. You are fierce and amazing just as you are. So I think that was, I think that's well said. And, uh, you know, it, it is unfortunate and may, maybe somewhat foreseeable that the law is going to be tangled up at the courts, but I think that the commission is a good outcome. Uh, I think it'll go a long way to resolving some of the practical problems. And although we have um, three now, you know, we don't know how many we're going to have next year or the year after. And uh, if, I just think this question is going to become much more difficult to, um, to deal with and, much better to do it early than to do it late. And so I, I think actually the commission is a good, good outcome. Don't like that we have to spend taxpayer dollars um, defending it and so forth, but I think this is a good thing. So uh, two other things. So there was an interesting article in the Salt Lake Tribune today. It went online a couple of days ago about an investigation that took place over the past year or two about, you know, parents were complaining that a member of an opposing sports team was transgender. The Utah High School Athletic Association conducted an investigation of this uh, st- this minor child's uh, uh, gender and sexuality, and basically what you know um, <laughs> what genitals they had. Uh, and this has made national news, and not in a good way. And and this Corey is the ugly side of this debate. Is now every parent on an opposing team that you know that they're daughter loses they say oh i think that's really a boy and that you've got we actually had one uh, elected official um texting pictures of this so-called transgender person that was competing against her daughter um during the session saying this is why we need the bill and as it turned out the pictures of this minor that she was texting was actually a biological female and 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 this is a this is not a healthy thing for our state to have parents questioning you know, what genitals opposing minor kids have and, and, and asking those questions and trying to find out. I, I just, I don't like this. I don't think it's good for sports. I don't think it's good for politics. I don't think it's, it's, it's good for, for anything. So I'm, I don't, I don't like where we are right now. I understand there's really good sides on both of this, but um, I think we're in an awkward place right now. So I think this is exactly what representative Kara Berkland has said multiple times is that these are the types of issues that we're going to run into. And I actually think that the commission would solve that problem. I mean, if you have a commission who, uh, who, who works through those questions, then I mean, uh, uh, an opposing parent, uh, child's parent is, can understand like either that is the natural gender of the child or it's gone, you know, the, the, that, uh, that girl has gone through whatever evaluation in order to, you know, deem her a former him is qualified to play. So I actually think, you know, part, part of this, like looking into kids because you lose, I mean, it's, it's 
I, I agree. It's part of our like sore loser epidemic that we talked about the other week, but I actually think that the commission, certainly a ban <laughs> would, would help resolve these questions. Make it. And well, no, it, it doesn't. It doesn't because if you have a ban, then people are saying, well, wait a second. I think this person's transgender, so they shouldn't be able to play. So it actually, it actually fuels the fire. And, you know, I mentioned this earlier, but I have a neighbor who's a referee, a high school referee. And he was told two years ago, make sure that this, this player is really female. And he said, how exactly are you, do you want me to do that? Um, and, and one of these three athletes, they've, they've changed their birth certificate. They've legally changed their birth certificate through Utah courts. So what is the referee supposed to do, Corey? Are they supposed to take the child into a room and ask them to pull down their pants? I, I, and I'm sorry, but what are they supposed to do when they're told to, to, to verify that this person is really a girl? What, what I, I mean, I, I, I think that's a complete canard and red herring, Todd. I mean, look, we have rules like that. You can't, have, you can't use performance enhancing drugs, for example. And yeah, okay, maybe there's not an easy way to check, but you do have a, you have an obligation to report, to self-report. So Corey, I'm going to put known, you in charge of Certainly if the, if the child is walking around the locker room with male genitalia, then that's a good indication. So, I mean, I, I just, I, I think that is just a red herring and, and really. So Corey, I'm going to put you in charge of that to find out which, which athletes are really boys and which ones are really girls. I, I find it hard to believe that your team kids. doesn't know. Uh, I, I mean, I, I just find it really hard to believe that the team wouldn't know. Well, we're talking, we're talking about the, the referee though. So well, then the coach knows, right. And the coach has a, has a duty to report. So if, if an athlete if the, shows if the coach up knows that, has... that a student, that a, an athlete is using performance dancing is on steroids, you know, the coach has a duty to report that and so cut if, the person from the team. <laughs> so. If an athlete shows up and has a birth certificate that says they're female, a Utah birth certificate, what is the high school athletic association supposed to do? What's the referee supposed to do? What, what is the, what's the team principal, uh, the team coach supposed to do? What's the principal supposed to do? It, it, it is an enigma wrapped in a mystery. It, it, and, and we're just opening doors that you cannot easily close. All right. By now we've all heard about the FBI's raid on uh, former president Trump's home in Mar-a-Lago, Florida. We still know very little about what the FBI was searching for beyond some sensitive documents, possibly dealing with nuclear uh, secrets, but that's still rumors at this point. Ostensibly, the FBI would need to show probable cause of a crime to, uh, to a judge to obtain a warrant uh, to make a bust like this. Still don't know what crime they have in mind exactly. Some speculation about the Espionage Act, but that's vague and, and not really any details there. When asked about it at a press conference, Governor Cox reacted this way. He said, this is a former president of the United States, and we have to live in a practical reality. This is very different. You have to give as much information as you can from the beginning. You have to be com a completely open book. The stakes are too high, and the potential negative results are far too damaging, Cox said. Which I think that's well said, and and I think you know there's a there's, there there is the argument out there that nobody's above the law, and I absolutely agree with that. But obviously, you know, I think Senator Cox is right, or Governor Cox is right with this that that this is this we're dealing with a, a very practical reality here, and obviously the FBI has chosen not to be forthcoming. I understand it's not their protocol to say anything, but this is not some run of the mill like uh, you know marijuana case. I thought columnist Ross, Ross Douthat expressed it very well. He said, if the agents of the state come after Trump, and especially now when they come as representatives of an administration that might face him in the next election, election 
they can't afford to miss. Not only in the jury box, but also in the court of public opinion. You don't just need a plausible legal case. You need an easy to explain slam dunk. That basically represents my perspective on this. I agree with, uh, with Ross. And it's been like two, two weeks and we still don't have much of an idea of what's, what's happening or what's going on. I think that the affidavit should be unsealed. I think it's going, I mean, the judge, uh, the magistrate judge who uh, publicly hates Trump, uh, the guy that issued the the subpoena has said it will be unsealed. The government has until Thursday to argue what, why certain portions shouldn't be unsealed. So I don't think it'll all be unsealed. Um, I I think, uh, so number one, we don't know uh, everything that the informants told the FBI. So I think we're all swinging in the dark right now. But what, based on what we do know, this does not look good for the FBI. It does not look good for the Department of Justice. It doesn't look good for Merrick Garland. It doesn't look good for Joe Biden. It does look like it, this was a huge overreach. Now, um, you know, the, the, the thing that the media, the liberal media is, uh, doesn't seem to understand or refuses to report is that as president, Donald Trump had the power to uh, declassify or unclassify any document he wanted to. And and apparently you can do that verbally. You can say this document is no longer classified. So he, the president of the United States is the only person in the, in the world that has that authority. And so this is different than Hillary Clinton's email server. It's different than a state department employee bringing documents home and they, they would go to jail for that. And, and the liberals want Trump to go to jail for something, if not this, something else. And so what we have is half the country who's convinced Trump should be in jail. They're just looking for a reason. Uh, first, it was Russiagate. It's been several other things. Now it's this. I, I don't think that Trump is going to jail for this. I also don't think he should have had the documents there, Corey. I don't understand um, why he had so many bankers. I mean, a banker's box can hold about three or 400 pages of documents. I don't understand why he had 30 or 40 or 50 banker's box of uh, of confidential documents at Mar-a-Lago. I, I'll be the first to say, I don't think they should have been there. Uh, but since they were there, I think that this um, probably should have been handled uh, much better and much differently. But I'm going to say uh, there, there's stuff we don't know. And and I'm going to reserve the right to change my opinion if more information comes out. Um, um, there have been some, there have been some speculation that he had nuclear codes. That was balderdash. There's some speculation that he wanted to sell these documents. I certainly hope that wasn't the case, but um, I don't like either side at this point. So, yeah, I mean, but all along we've been promised that uh, that that the FBI has something. They've got they've got the goods. Mueller report, you know, it's going to be it's it's going to be uh, explosive. They have it. There's no way they would do such and such or make whatever decision if they didn't know if they didn't have uh, you know rock solid proof. And I think time and time again they have belly flopped and yeah at best and at worst they the fbi falsified Let's using the steel dossier in uh, in uh, under false pretenses to to clear uh, a warrant with the fisa court so i think i think we've seen that they have have not been forthcoming i think we've seen that uh that they promised big things and not and not delivered i think merrick garland is bumbling along there's not much to recommend his competence I do not agree with uh, folks on uh, on our side who say defund the FBI. I I, I don't nope. think that that's where we ought to be. Is uh, to borrow the language of the left of defund the police. No, but what we do need is better leadership. I think what we need is a new president and a new <laughs> AG. This this whole episode has reinvigorated Trump's standing among Republicans. His his poll numbers have gone way up. This is just when Governor DeSantis has been surging a little bit, and and uh, and I and I think that. 
you know, I, I personally would prefer uh, a Republican nominee for president who can serve for eight years. You know, somebody who, who can who can be a fearless fighter, but without necessarily as much um, as much baggage or as much nasty and vitriol that's going to that follows Trump. Um, yeah. So I, I think that it's unfortunate in that way, because I think that uh, there, there were, were some Republican challengers, Governor DeSantis, for example, who who uh, were really starting to get a profile. And I think this sets them back. And, um, and I think it's a bummer. And let me just say, my, I'm going to place most of the blame so far preliminarily on the Department of Justice and the very top of the FBI, the agents who were executing the search warrant, they were doing their job. They had a signed warrant from a federal judge. And I think that they're getting too much criticism. People want to release the security tapes from Mar a Largo so that, you know, these people can be publicly shamed. You know, if you're an FBI agent and you're handed a warrant, you're told to execute it. That's your job. And I, I have a, a personal policy that I don't criticize people for doing their job, especially if they do their job well. So those agents that were, you know, in Mar a Lago. Um, they're not at fault. It's 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 the Department of Justice attorneys and the head of the FBI who sent them there under what I, what looks to be right now preliminarily very flimsy um, circumstances. Those are the ones that should be held accountable, not for line line staff workers doing their jobs. Yeah. All right. Well said. We talked about some heavy topics today. Yeah. That's all the time we have. All right. Thanks, Corey. All right. See you.